This is Live Well Talk on Addiction Services. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at United Point Health St. Luke's Hospital. Substance abuse and addiction can be difficult to overcome. At St. Luke's, uh, we provide a wide range of services in our intensive outpatient treatment program. Joining me to talk more about addiction services at St. Luke's is Matt Rocca, Program Manager at St. Luke's Chemical Dependency. Thank you for coming by. Thanks for inviting me, Dustin. You know, uh, Matt, you and I have had these conversations on this topic uh, before, but uh, let's start with some basics. You know, wh- what, what is the most commonly abused substance that, that you see in, in, in your service line? Sure. So certainly what we've seen, as long as I've been doing this work, um, whether it's across the state or across the country, there's still no, nothing that compares to what alcohol and the negativity that substance has on our society and the individuals that we see in treatment. So alcohol is still far, far and ahead of away of all other substances. So the data we do collect across the state of Iowa certainly does shed some light on some of the other substances, which would include, um, for years, we would see about 40, 40, 40 to 45% of people entering treatment, their primary substance was alcohol. Second to that, very close though, was marijuana. They were still hanging right around 40%. We've seen a little bit of a shift in that in the last, oh, 10, 15 years or so, where uh, marijuana is sliding down a little bit. They're not getting into treatment as commonly as they used to for that substance. And replacing it, though, we've certainly been seeing the opioid use, um, getting people into treatment. And to counter what the opioids are doing to people and how they're feeling, uh, we're seeing an increase with methamphetamine also. Amphetamine-based substances, specifically methamphetamine, getting patients into the treatment center. So alcohol is still out there, but some other substances are unfortunately trying to catch it. Would you say that methamphetamine is increasing then uh, use, still starting to climb? Absolutely. The way we saw methamphetamine spike about 20 years ago across the country, across the Midwest, across eastern Iowa, um, we saw a little spike then with, again, the number of people using it resulting in getting into treatment. That's the only way we really know what's kind of what's going on. And then we're starting to see that again just in the last five years um, across the state of Iowa. The data started to show that methamphetamine use is increasing and we're connecting it with the opioid epidemic. That's, that's a distinct possibility. I read an article once about how that the measures we were taking to decrease methamphetamines in Iowa specifically was actually inc- making the problem worse because we, you couldn't get pseudofed over the counter. The sheriffs were shutting down these meth labs that can make, and I'm gonna, this is hyperbole, can make a pound a week. Well, then the Mexican cartels can make a pound an hour. And so they, they really kind of muscled in when the local stuff dried up. So the best effort to fix a problem leads to another problem. And I, and yeah. I think that's, that, that's kind of the nature of chemical dependency and addiction services, that often people try to fix one problem while making another problem worse. Yeah. You know, you, you, the, you get the people try to get off alcohol and you start using Valium. Yes. You know, and uh, neither is the right way to do that. When I mean, using substances, if it's their coping mechanism of choice to deal with something that they're uncomfortable with, if, uh, you know, they're mad, sad, or angry, they don't understand how to deal with it. If they, for some reason, something changes and they can't use their substance of choice, absolutely. A lot of times what we're saying, they'll switch to a different substance. Fill that gap. They know. will, absolutely. Let's just take alcohol. Uh, let's start with that one. If I'm uh, having trouble with alcohol and I present uh, to your service, what, what's that look like? What, sure. what, what should I expect? Sure. At St. Luke's Chemical Dependency, we are in our treatment programs, um, and on an outpatient basis, we do not do inpatient or residential substance abuse treatment. Nobody lives where we're at, but all the outpatient services that we offer, we are very group heavy. So we're going to put people into a group for treatment where they can be surrounded by 
10 to 15 other people going through the same thing because we think that's the best way to get them connected with other people trying to make positive changes. So we don't do a lot of individual sessions and a lot of people really look for those and want them, which is good. We can get those connect- them connected with places that do offer that. Uh, but again, we just think, boy, if you can be surrounded, um, you know, some of our bread and butter programs, two, three, four days a week with people that are going through the same stuff, that's going to be a good experience for them. You know, when I was a medical student, we we were encouraged and we did attend an AA meeting hmm. uh, just, to, just to see what goes on. And so that, that's almost kind of the principles of AA is this sort of group mentality. You're not in this alone. Yeah. Here's other people that have had the same problem and, and we can rely on each other. And yeah. that's, that is powerful. That fellowship piece to AA yeah. and treatment is absolutely yeah. you know, a big piece to success with recovery is finding those people to go through it with. Of the people that you, that you work with, what's, what's the percentage that five years later they're recovered? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the term recovered, you know, is, is a term that we're kind of cautious with using because we'll say it's lifelong. We'll say they'll be in recovery for the rest of their lives. And that's a tough message to sell some individuals that aren't aware of it. So our, our job with a lot of patients is really to try to offer some insight into that, that if you've experienced some success and haven't used for five years, we don't want you to minimize that. We want you to understand the importance of maintaining all the disciplines and changes that you made in your life to get to that five-year mark. You're going to need to continue with those to get to six years or to get to five years in one day, you know, we're very one day at a time. But in order for that to be maintained, we're going to say all those changes you made, you can't let up on them. You've really got to keep those as a priority or some of this old stuff, old behaviors will start to sneak back up. So that recovery, recovered concept, we really try to focus on a little more as it's lifelong. You're going to be dealing with this a long time from now and that's okay. You know, it's an acceptance of the severity of it, which is something we try to help them all understand. Well, it, as the Bible says, the flesh is weak, the spirit is strong. There you, go. you know, if you don't keep that strong spirit. Um, people that have other concerns, uh, particularly let's drift into marijuana. You know, I, I know you and I have had these conversations before, and we're going to keep that conversation going today. What, what is its addiction potential for marijuana? Sure. Well, we would say it's no different really than any other substance, just because primarily it's mood-altering. Okay, and again, whether you're using it recreationally because you want to, because it's an easier uh, way for you to feel like you're having fun, the kind of fun you want to, or again, you're using it as a coping mechanism of choice. Uh, Bottom line is it's still a a mood-altering substance that no different than any of these other substances, It's especially for for marijuana, some of the others, it's illegal, it's unhealthy, it's not only addictive, but it is that, that causing those problems in an individual's life when they think they're using it maybe to cope, and I need it for this reason, but they're forgetting about all the other problems that arise from it. So we just try to put it all together and help them understand. Um, it's, a, it's a mood-altering substance. You know, it's one that's got a lot of unhealthy properties to it. And ideally, they come to that realization, well, what I liked, what I got from it versus what I don't like I'm getting from it. Hopefully, they see that kind of um, outweigh. But, yeah, and I think it's, I think, whether it's social media or pop culture, minimizes mm-hmm. the harmful potential of that. And it's much like, I used to, for personal reasons, family reasons, you know, I hated the show Cheers because it's not glamorous to sit in a bar for all evening when your family's at home, yep. you know, and I really thought that 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 kind of, you know, that was uh, put up as entertaining and funny. And, uh, you know, I saw that differently. And you see, it, I mean, it's happening all over again with marijuana. It's becoming, you know, vogue, recreational. And you see the cycle again. People are making a lot of money 
off a mood-altering substance, and the people who are making the money are the ones telling you that it's fine. Where have we heard that before? Purdue Pharma and opioids. You know, they pushed opioids. Oh, they're not addictive, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've seen this before. And it's just we fall right back into it that, well, it must be safe because it's legal yeah. uh, in, in, in that way. And it is concerning. Yeah. Uh, I do not think it's a benign substance. Yeah. I think the greatest negative impact that we're starting to track in states like Colorado is starting to show us with their changes, with their laws, and with the minimization that we're starting to see, the impact that it has on minors and young children. Because it is in their households, and it is resulting in increased teen use of that substance, resulting in... Uh, vehicular accidents and emergency room visits, um, you know, young infants with exposure, young children with exposure to highly potent forms of marijuana, uh, resulting in whatever sort of a negative influence it has in their mind and body, resulting in emergency room visits, uh, the negative impact on academic performance and attendance. I think all those markers are starting to be seen in some of these other states uh, where they've made some changes with their laws. You know, Libby had a my oldest, you know, Libby had a book report and she, we were talking about the movie, the book, excuse me, Brave New World by Adolf Huxley. And in that dystopian, the people took Soma was the drug they took to kind of make them passive, you know, so that they just accepted the dystopian state and were always happy all the time. And you, know, you kind of see it drifting towards that with marijuana. Oh, it's just, it's, it's benign. It's, 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 it's CBD oil with a little THC and you, you can take it and it, it, it just, it's like snake oil, you know, it cures everything. And that minimization, I think, is really going to hurt us in the long run. Yeah. It, it really is. Uh, and that, and I'm not even going to get into the medical aspect of the detriment, just the mood alteration and the dependency and setting that up is just, it, it's alarming. It, it really is. is. I would agree. I, I remember I graduated high school in 87 and, you know, there were probably one or two kids that smoked marijuana on a regular basis, and nobody really wanted to hang out with them. You know, now it's the opposite. There's one or two kids that don't smoke marijuana, yeah. and, you know, they're the kind of the outcast. And, and that's, that is disturbing because we will pay that price socially as, as time goes. And ideally, we will still try to even educate family members and the few uh, minors that we work with. There's still actually more people in society that don't use substances than do. And sometimes we need to remind them of that, that they think, well, everyone does it, and all my friends do it. Well, you know, actually, no. You know, actually, if I think if you, you looked at some data that would show the percentage of people that are using it all versus have an addiction, you put them all together, there's still more people that don't use substances than do. And that's still an inspirational point we like to, to offer to them. They're out there. You just got to find them. Yeah, uh, that's a great point, Matt, because I think sometimes in medicine, particularly, you know, every patient I see that smokes has emphysema. So, you know, there I just think go. everybody that smokes has emphysema, but it's only about 15%. But the ones that I'm seeing are the ones that have that. And then the same with if you're thinking, well, everybody must smoke marijuana because all the people I see do. There well, you it's because you're lying at work, and that, that totally makes sense. Even with marijuana, it's group therapy. Absolutely. To, to do that. So it's, regardless it's, of the substance, we're, we're going to say there's more similarities than differences regardless of the substance. So are there very unique things to each class of drugs where somebody might come in that we don't want to ignore? Yes. But when they start to distinguish that themselves, sometimes it's our job to remind them. You've got more similarities with the people sitting next to you than differences when it comes to the amount of change you need to make in your life, um, significant, challenging change to improve your life on your terms, okay, not on our terms, but you know, by ways you've conveyed to us, you want life to be different and better, not using, changing that. More similarities than differences is a big concept we send to them. Now, 
the, the service line is limited to chemical dependency. You don't do gambling and other addictions. Uh, Correct. Uh, we don't do the process addictions. What we will is that what that's called? Process yep. addiction. Okay, yep. I did not yep. know that. The, the sure. shopping, the spend, spending money, gambling, food, sex. Um, you know those sorts of addictions. Pornography on the on the internet. We've got referral sources certainly that will get those patients connected to if they need it. Yeah, I think the much like television, the internet has been a great addition for mankind and also brought a lot of negative it with is. it, unfortunately. It uh, is. But, uh, well, how, how did you get into this? What, what, what's your sure. training? And sure. Take me through that. Um, you know, when I first uh, got out of college and I went down to the University of Iowa to study sports psychology, a master's program that does not exist there any longer, but it was a good program, but it was focused a lot more. There's only four of us that started that year, and we, it turned out to be a lot more performance enhancement than counseling. So we were just kind of learning about that. And we were really interested in the counseling aspect with athletes versus helping them make more free throws and make more putts um, playing golf. So um, after that, I got into work down in Iowa City um, at, a, at a group home for chronically mentally ill. So a lot of those individuals, as we know, also have substance abuse issues. And I found it kind of fascinating learning about it. I was there just about a year or so. And then one of my mentors there, a supervisor, encouraged me that I might be a good fit for some chemical dependency programs that have young males in there, minor males, because they needed maybe an adult male role model that was very positive. And treatment centers, a lot of times, are really looking for males that are into the counseling field. They're few and far between. Um, so I started doing that, and I kind of cut my teeth at an agency that I worked with across town, Area Substance Abuse Council. I did that for about 10 years, 12 years, and had a great experience, and then had the opportunity over here. And, you know, once you do something for 20, 25 years, which is right about where I'm at. You kind of, you get a feel for it. You get confident with it and it's worked out well. You know, I just really feel like you, we know what's going on in the world of addiction in Eastern Iowa, you know, regardless of what we see sometimes on TV and what's going on in New York City or Los Angeles with what's going on with their drug trends. We like to think we know what's going on in Iowa. That's what we want to be experts on is what's going on in Eastern well, Iowa. Well, and it's, it's so concerning how meth and opioids have affected rural yep. Iowa. Small towns. Some towns are just devastated. And yep. That's really sad, yeah. particularly just the heritage we have of those small towns. Yeah, we're so, built on uh, Iowa's rural, you're right. So to see that happen in a state that we've grown up in the way you and I have, yeah, it can be sad at times. Well, that's really great information, man. I appreciate you coming by. I'll say this, your, your team is such a benefit to the, the doctors that work in the hospital because we don't understand these resources. We, don't, we know the person needs help. And we, you give us great guidance, and we're very, very, very thankful for your presence on the floor. Once again, that was Matt Roca, Program Manager at St. Luke's Chemical Dependency. For more information, visit unipoint.org. If you have a topic you'd like to suggest for our Live Well Talk on podcast, shoot us an email at stlukescr at unipoint.org, and we encourage you to tell your family, friends, neighbors about our podcast. Until next time, be well.